Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. I want us to read verse 13 and 14. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we want to talk about verse 13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. You know, as we read the Scriptures, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, He said in verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we talk about being delivered. Jesus said we ought to pray that we'd be delivered from evil. They requested that He might teach them how to pray. And in this prayer, in Matthew 6, He taught them how to pray. And one thing He pointed out was not only give us day by day our daily bread, but deliver us from evil. It not only means evil itself, but the evil one from Satan's power and grip. You know, in the Old Testament, he said to Moses, I am come down to deliver them. That is Israel. He came down to deliver Israel. And so we're so deeply sunk in the mire of sin that only he can lift us up out of it. Let me read a verse of Scripture in the 40th Psalm. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. So, uh, the psalmist said he waited, and God brought him up out of a horrible pit. He delivered him from that miry clay. Many of us could have a testimony of that nature even today. We know that there is a kingdom, a realm, of a world of darkness. And we have a world that's in darkness. darkness. In darkness, a person is unable to see and to understand and to know. Many try to walk in darkness and they stumble and fall. Jesus said the man that walks in the darkness, he's going to stumble and fall. cannot see where he's going. And the power of darkness enslaves men and stands in opposition to all that is light and all that is true. It is God Himself who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Jesus said to give light to them that are in darkness and in the shadow of death. In John 3 verse 19 it says, Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If you love the light, you won't love evil deeds. But if you love darkness, your deeds are evil. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 12, it says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. So there's works of darkness as well. Romans 1, verse 21 says, Their foolish heart was darkened. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, speaks of the hidden things of darkness. So there's much that we have in the world today that is of darkness, that is of Satan. There's a moral deception in our nation today. Impurity. Impurity and vice and immorality are on the rampage on every hand. Nudism is a seedbed of impurity. And our generation is being attacked by it on all sides, especially from Hollywood. Satan knows its power, and Hollywood and TV glamorize it. It leads to rape and illicit of sex and murders and violence of all kinds. It was the temptation of a nude woman that caused David to fall into sin of impurity in his life. 
and brought great defeat to him. In fact, the prophet Nathan came to him after his sin and said, The sword, David, the sword shall never depart from your house. The moral standards thrown aside. Fewer pure young women repeating the marriage vows. The increase of drinking. You study the Bible and it tells us that Queen Vashti refused to come in and dance before the drunken king Ahasuerus. Think of David. Think of Herod, King Herod and John the Baptist when King Herod had someone dance before him in a lewd manner. That's when the head of John the Baptist was asked for. And he submitted to that. We have mental defilement, another sure sign of impurity of our day. The thinking of the masses is being regulated by the impurity of the age. The mass of the people let their thinking be regulated by what goes on in the world. Don't let the world regulate your uh, sense and degree of morality. And if you do, you're just letting them do the regulating. Two main causes of this impurity is one is compromised preaching. Preachers are responsible to call sin what God's Word says it is, and it's sin, S-I-N. And then a compromised public opinion. The public opinion of people today, the drunkard is called an alcoholic. The harlot is called a playgirl. The wild youth is called restless. The cursor is counted as cute. And the gambler is called smart. And none of these stand the test of Scripture because the Bible tells us that there is a darkness in this world. And we're fighting against that. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke 23, verse 53, when Jesus was being ready to go to the cross and being betrayed, He said, When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against Me. But He said, But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus said, This is your hour and the devil has control of it right now. In the power of darkness. And this is what they were facing. Jesus said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And He says, And I, if I be lifted up from there, will draw all men unto Me. We're just trying to give you a background for what we're going to preach on this morning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them." The devil tries to blind men to the truth of the gospel. And he's doing a pretty good job of it in some areas. And then we find in Ephesians 4, verse 18, it says, "...having the understanding darkened." And then also in Ephesians 5, 8, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. To those of us who have been redeemed and saved and trusted in Jesus, we're not of darkness anymore. But it tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, in the heavenlies. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about saved people. And he says, That you might show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Aren't we thankful today that God has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light? Amen. That's where we are today. We walk as children of light. And so there are many things that we can be thankful for. The devil has blinded the hearts of men as far as the goodness of God is concerned. 
Men do not realize how good God is to us. But the Bible says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Some people believe it's the wrath of God that leads people to repentance. The wrath is His last work. that he, It's called in the Bible His strange work. God does not want to bring wrath. But sometimes because of His nature and because of His character, because of His laws, because He is a holy and just God, He has to judge sin. And so therefore, but the wrath of God sometimes causes men to be more hardened. We find that throughout the Bible. You'll find it in the book of Revelation. It says, Yet they repented not of their deeds. The Bible says in Romans 2 verse 4, But not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Then we find that they're blinded as far as their spiritual condition is concerned. The lost man doesn't realize how spiritually lost he really is. He goes along with the tide of this world and he thinks, well, you know, I'm just as good as the next fellow and if anybody goes to heaven, I'm going. I'm just as good as that guy. But how do you know that guy's going? So you don't have a standard to judge by one another. You have God's Word to judge you. And we're all going to be judged accordingly. Men are blinded as to Bible truth. They will not accept the truth of God's Word. They'll believe the lie of Satan readily. And we find that they're blinded as to the way of salvation. They think, well, works is the way of salvation. I can just uh, be a good person and I'll go to heaven. But the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You come through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And that's the only way that you're going to get to heaven. I'm the way to the Father and I'm the way to heaven. And Jesus points that out, way out. I believe that's in John chapter 14, verse 6. We find that men are blinded as to the joys of the Christian life. They think joys are found in, in uh, worldliness, in excitement, in, in the pleasures of this world, and in, in various things. Even if they're immoral things, they think that the joy is found in those things. The joy of the Christian life. By the way, that should be an incentive for you and I as Christians not to go around always with a frown on our face. We ought to be happy folks, shouldn't we? We have everything to rejoice in. And so we should rejoice. We should rejoice because we have a clear conscience with God. By the way, that's a point in my message, so I won't deal with it right now. There are many things that we can rejoice in. When Jesus said, deliver us from evil, He meant the evil one as well as evil things. The tempter keeps us, we need to be kept from his assaults or from his power or from the evil things and from sin, the worst of evils. That evil which God hates and which Satan tempts men to and destroys them by is sin. The Bible says that we need deliverance from these things. Again, we see the words of Jesus, deliver us from evil. And our text says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I'm going to give you seven evils to be delivered from. I thought I was going to preach on uh, these seven evils instead of on the introduction. But all you've gotten so far is the introduction. So if I don't get to preach anything else, I gave you an introduction. But the first thing I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, is there is a Scripture for each one of these things that we'll point out. So you might write them down when I say one or two or three. The first thing is an evil conscience. Look in 
Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Having our hearts sprinkled or cleansed, we might say the cleansing is through the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, from an evil conscience by the blood of Christ. Cleansed from it. Cleansed from an evil conscience by the blood of Christ. When we think of the conscience of men and how they're cleansed from it, and how we need to have our conscience purged. Look also, if you have Hebrews 10, glance over chapter 9 and verse uh, 13 and 14. 9, verse 13 and 14. It says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and uh, the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. Now, these, these animal sacrifices sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. Flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The purging of our conscience is through the blood of Christ. You know, there's a lot of things to be said about conscience. A pure conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. The animals had no will of the or spirit to offer. Yet in their sacrifice, they cleanse to the purifying of the flesh. Flesh. Well, how much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience, cleanse your conscience from evil works to serve the living and true God? How is it that we're different by the shed blood of Christ than the Old Testament saints were through the animal sacrifices? We find that even in the Old Testament, men's consciences were smitten because of their evil conscience. What caused Adam and Eve to hide from the Lord in the garden, in the midst of trees of the garden? After they had sinned, their conscience had smitten them. What caused Joseph's brothers, after they had betrayed him and sold him into slavery, when they finally were face to face with, with a situation, before even Joseph was revealed to them, what caused them to say, we know that it's because we sold him into bondage that that's why these things have come upon us. What happened? It was their conscience. What caused Peter later on, when he had denied the Lord thrice, and the Bible says he saw Jesus coming out of the judgment hall, and Jesus turned and looked upon Peter, and the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He remembered the word of the Lord. It was his conscience. And so when your conscience smites you, you know, the Bible teaches, and one has said before, that conscience does make cowards of us all. And it does. We're reminded of everything that we do that's wrong. And we have plenty of it. So when a person says, you know, my conscience bothered me, you know what I say? Thank the Lord. And you ought to thank the Lord that it does. Paul said in another place, my conscience also bearing witness with the Holy Ghost. Your conscience. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and He puts the last nail in the coffin of sin. And your conscience and the Holy Spirit are, are you have to deal with. You know, Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. This law of a bad nature. This law that tells Paul things are not as they ought to be. It's a law, a rule of action. It's a, a diagnosis of human nature. Paul was saying, I realize that when I would do good, 
evil is present with me. You know, you don't want to say it, but it's true. Even in the house of God, evil is present because the devil is doing everything he can to disrupt the truth of God and he can cause you to think and do the wrong things. Do you realize that? Wake up then, because it's present. And the devil is always fighting against God and God's Word and God's truth. And no better place than he can do it than when the preacher is preaching, he can try to distract you from the message and the Word and the truth of God and cause you to think and do wrong even while you're seated in the pew. You say, Preacher, I don't do that. Well... Just give it time. Just give it time. Because God's Word is resisted by Satan. You say, well, I don't, I don't have that problem. Well, I'm glad you don't. I'm glad someone here doesn't have that problem. Man is helpless without God. You know, we have a confession that we need to make and a challenge that we need to face and a cry of despair in our hearts. We say, Lord, help me. Because we realize that we need God's help. Because our smitten conscience, a conscience that is sometimes people's conscience gets seared with a hot iron and it's no more quick and tender. You know, someone says, you know, you cut something to the quick. You cut your fingernail too short. You get into the quick, don't you? I remember when I used to shoe horses. I'd have that old horse's foot in either the if the front, well, it was easy to handle, but you got that old hind foot. Sometimes you put a rope around the ankle and around his neck and pull it up there where you could get to it. And then they had to stand on three feet. You had to support them with the other foot trying to work on it. But anyway, if you are nipping off that uh, dead hoof and you get too deep or you're cutting it with a knife to clean, clean out inside the, the hoof, as you usually do if you're putting on a shoe properly, when you cut it into the quick, that horse is going to cause all kinds of trouble. And if you drive a nail through the horseshoe and you get it too high, you get into the quick. Right on the end, it won't bother. If you get it up too high and you get into the quick, that horse will raise a ruckus with you. Well, he should, because that's not the proper way to do it. And some of you that have had that experience know what I'm talking about. Same thing with human nature. I noticed on the television the other day, they had a where you trim your pet's... You may, some of you may have seen it. You trim your, trim your pet's claws or the cat or the dog, and it's got a little thing that keeps you from going in the quick. Whereas if you clip it, and the veterinarian says that's the best way to do it because you don't get into the quick. It just rounds it off and you, you don't get too deep. Well, that probably is a good invention for that particular purpose. But what I'm saying is that the conscience is quick until it's seared over. You can sear something over and it has no feeling. You do away with that feeling. Don't ever think that because your conscience is quick and because it, it detects any intrusion into your life that it's not good for you. That's the good kind because you know then that you've gone too far. But if you sear it over, nothing affects it. So, we want that to happen to us. Secondly, the second point of our message, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Let me give you this. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So, this is something we need to be delivered from. An evil heart of unbelief. By regeneration, God can give us a new heart. A heart of faith. And a new nature. And a new birth. 
No wonder Jesus said, you must be born again. Because we needed God to create in us a clean heart and a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, let me read this for you. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart, look here, we said it, an evil heart of unbelief. But look, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. By the new heart that God gives us, He makes it, makes it possible that we can live a Christian life. And if it were not for that new heart, that change of heart... The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we're thankful that God has changed us from the inside out. That's the way Jesus was transfigured before the apostles. Remember? Peter, James, and John. And He was changed. The Bible says He was transfigured before them. And His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. And so on and so forth. So we find we need to be delivered from a, an evil heart of unbelief. John 3 verse 18 says, He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, under condemnation because you believe not. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, tells us that the fearful and unbelieving and abominable shall have their part in the lake of fire. The fearful and unbelieving. You might say, well, preacher, just because a person remains in unbelief, does not accept Christ, does he have to suffer in the lake of fire with those wicked men that are murderers and vilest? Yes, he will. But there will be degrees of suffering in hell. I believe that with all my heart. I don't believe that everyone's going to suffer the same. But God is a just God. And men will be judged according to God's justice. And the Bible teaches that. And I won't have time to, to expound it this morning, but anyway, we could study it out here sometime if you have any questions about it. So we need to be delivered from an evil heart of unbelief. Titus 3.5 tells us how. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So it's by spiritual regeneration that we're delivered from an evil heart of unbelief. Now, number three, we need to be delivered from evil speaking. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What does it say? Let bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. We need deliverance from evil speaking. And we're, we're delivered by that because we have a tender heart, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, because we have our hearts was filled with love, the love of God. You know what, what will cause you to speak not evil, but speak good? is to have your heart filled with the love of Jesus. That makes the difference. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. That's Romans 5, I believe it may be verse 5, but it's Romans chapter 5 if you look down. 
So anyway, what we're saying is that we don't want evil speaking. That will lead us to forgive other people's sins. It will lead us to pray for other folks. And it says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Slander is an evil thing. It's injurious. Injurious speech to another. It speaks evil of his good name. Evil speaking is slander. Insinuations. Maybe we don't say something outright, but we just insinuate. That's evil. <clears throat> There's a lot of things. We surmise of evil. Clamor. The more chronic evil speaking. Arguments and debates. James says, Speak not evil one of another. But he said, Pray for one another. James 4, verse 11. Let me give you Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says, But these as natural beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Some pe people speak evil of the things that they don't even understand. Especially if they don't understand the Word of God, they can speak evil of it and think that they're justified in doing so. When the Word of God comes forth in its truth and men speak evil of it, it's because they don't understand and they have an antagonism against the Word of God. Speak evil of the things they understand not. Those of God's children who do not heed admonition, they grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We're going to have to hurry on to the next point. The fourth thing, we need to be delivered from evil communication. Say, well, what's that all about, preacher? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. That means he who frequents the company of bad people, bad society, will soon be corrupted by their manners. Evil communications corrupt good manners. We need to be delivered from those things. Evil communication is not only the speaking that we have. We've already talked somewhat about that, but we'll give you some more. But it means our associations as well. How are we going to be delivered from that? By setting the watch before our mouth and keeping the door of our lips. In Psalm 141, and verse 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth and keep the door of my lips. In other words, guard it. Many of us speak, and I've, all of us make the same mistake, of saying things that we maybe say hastily or have not thought. A lot of times I'll go out to, uh, from the church after I've preached to you Sunday morning, preach my heart out, and I have love for every one of you. And someone goes out the door and I'll say something that maybe I didn't say enough or maybe I didn't have time to deal with it. And I'll get home and I'll think, well, I hope that person wasn't offended by how I acted or what I said. And you know, preachers can preach the best sermon they can preach and go home and then worry about it. I speak from experience. Because, and, and I'll say this, so if this happens to you when you go out the door, I'll say this, I never want to offend your heart or your soul or your person or your feelings. I'm not that kind of person. And I want you to take it that way. And if I get up here and try to tell certain, a, a little something humorous, I don't mean to offend anyone. Whatever I say, I don't mean to do that. And God knows my heart that I wouldn't do it for the world. 
I'd rather not preach anything just to preach to offend you in your heart and soul of something that I've said that was not justified in saying. And that doesn't mean I, I compromise the Word of God. If I preach the Word, you can take it as it is. And Paul says, Woe is me if I preach not the Gospel. So we're talking about evil communication. In Psalm 32, verse 9, it says, Be not as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with the bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. In other words, let's not be stubborn like the horse or the mule that we'd have to hold our mouth in with a bit. Colossians 3, verse 8 says, But now ye also put off all these, put off all these, now listen, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put away filthy communication out of your mouth. That means you don't want to tell any dirty jokes. And by the way, if you're a child of God and someone tells one, don't, don't listen to it. And if it's within your ear hearing, don't pay any attention to it. Don't give them any additional comfort by laughing at it. Just say, I didn't get that. In your mind, just act like you don't get it. And sometimes you don't get it either. But anyway, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Let, Let that which is good to the use of edifying, that's what's to come out of your mouth. It's to build people up. And then Philippians 4, I mean 2 verse 14, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You're to be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Number five, we have three more to go. Deliver us from every evil work. Second Timothy four seventeen and eighteen. Second Timothy four, verse seventeen and eighteen. Let's see if I can get this one for you. I want you to look at it. 17, Paul says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That's one delivered. Now, verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, God will deliver me from every evil work. In 2 Peter 2, verse 9, it tells us this, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the, the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. I've always been intrigued by that verse when someone says, well, how is the Lord going to do something for us? It says, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. We worry about things that we need that we feel may be a trap for us. But it tells us here the Lord knows how. Sometimes when you're on the ordinary things of life and a temptation comes, and then maybe God some way, somehow, by person or event or circumstance, takes you out of the situation. We don't know why or how, but God knows how that you could have fallen into a temptation or sin, but God knows how. He interrupted the circumstances. And He brought Himself into your life and in your circumstances that prevented what could have happened to you. You say, Preacher, I don't believe that. I believe that with all my heart. 
with all my heart that He can change it and He can make a difference along the way. So, He knows how. And furthermore, he, Paul says, and He will preserve us unto His heavenly kingdom. Paul said, what persecutions I endured, if you turn back to 3 verse 11, 2 Timothy 3 verse 11, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord did, delivered me. He delivered him out of all these persecutions and temptations. That's uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 11. Now we have two more points I want to give you. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 22, the very appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me get it for you. In verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. I think Dr. Stanley was telling, I didn't get it all this morning, but he's telling about going into this place and this fellow seeing him there. Anyway, <laughs> what are you doing here? But the thing about it is, <clears throat> sometimes we're in situations where someone might think evil of where we are or what we're doing, that we're not doing anything at all wrong. But others may surmise that. So we have to abstain from all appearance of evil. And how do we do this? By, by a spirit of great carefulness. Observe not merely the evil, but that which may not be evil in itself to you, yet it would appear to be so to others. Sometimes something you may be doing. To the other fellow, he may say, well, you know, that's an evil thing that Christian is doing, that person is doing. When it may not be at all. You may be trying to help someone that's, that's in a fault or in a trouble along the way. And just by talking to them or in a situation or, you know, uh, you go into a place to eat a meal and they serve liquor in there. Well, we do that all the time. We usually go buy it right quick, don't we? And go in there and eat, eat what we want to eat. And there are very few places now that do not serve the the alcohol and the liquor. But be that as it may, you're to account for yourself, but sometimes you get caught up in a place that you shouldn't be in. And of course, when, when that happens, the thing you're doing may be perfectly innocent, but it may seem uh, not right to the other person. So all appearance of evil, you have to use great carefulness. It says in First Thessalonians 4 verse 12, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without. So we do our best to walk honestly to those that are on the outside. And that you may have lack of nothing. Having God's blessings upon the way we walk. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. How do you walk circumspectly? That word means very carefully in life. And we have to be careful in this life that we walk as a Christian ought to walk. Else someone may see it as something that's wrong with us in our life. That doesn't mean you have to be always on needles and pins, so to speak, if you use that term. But if you walk as a Christian, Jesus said, let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if we'll just let Jesus Christ, our Lord, walk within us and live according to His will, then that's what people will see. That's what they're going to see. You see, they're not going to notice that in me. They're going to notice that and see that in you, whether you want them, want them to or not.
they're going to detect that there's something about your life as a Christian that's different. And I'm thankful that they will. Now then, the last one, Galatians 1 verse 4. We have to hurry. I want to give you the last one. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, if I can find it. It says this, Who gave Himself, speaking of Christ, who gave Himself for our sins. By the way, we got the best of the trade, didn't we? He traded Himself for our sins. He gave Himself for our sins. That He might deliver us, look, from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That He might deliver us from this present evil world. Now then, we know that He does that day by day as He delivers us, delivers us from evil. And, and we know that He will save us now from the world by taking the world out of our hearts. And by and by, He will take us out of the world to our glorious home on high. You know, we sing the song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And by the way, whether you realize how true that is, it is true. You're just passing through it. And it won't be long till you've passed through it. You say, Preacher, I'm young and I've got... 60 years before me. You may, and you may not. Something happens to boys and girls, to young people, to teenagers, to young married folks, to people in mid-age, and to older folks. And we don't know what a day may bring forth. And you know, every morning when I get up, I think, I say, thank you, Lord, for resting the night and for another day you've given me. Another day is at hand. The sun is shining, the light is, we're ready to go for another day. And you better be thankful for it, because your, your whole being is in the hands of God. And one heartbeat and one breath. You know, Job says, if God would take away his breath and his spirit, he said, listen carefully, all flesh would perish together, and man would return again to dust. See, God breathed out into man's nostrils and he became a living soul. The breath of God is in us. It's in you. And that's the way you live. He said back in the book of Deuteronomy, do you not remember that it's God that gives you breath and life that you can do what you do? I know there's some macho people in the world who say, you know I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. James says, don't say you're going to do that. Say, if the Lord wills, I'll do thus and so. Because you do not have your life in your own hand. Uh, you've heard people say, you can make of your life what you want to. Well, you can have goals and you can have things that you want to do, and, but you must have the will of God in your life for you to accomplish what God has for you. You can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so we need to realize. Paul said also that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Some people love this present world. John says, love not the world, neither the things 